So our sermon title or our teaching time is entitled, The Amen is God's Will for New Testament Corporate Worship. I want us as a church to continue to grow, of course, to keep on reforming according to the Word of God in our public worship. And something that we do mm, occasionally, or a few of you do it, is using the word Amen. Amen is not a man-made cultural practice for church. It's a God-ordained practice and therefore binding upon us. And that's what I want to show you from the scriptures today and perhaps next week as well. Well, let's begin, our, and this is our first point. Uh, let's just look at the meaning of the word amen or amen. Many of you know that it's a Hebrew word and it's transliterated, not translated, but transliterated in most English Bibles simply as amen. It takes the letters from the Hebrew word and turns it into an English word. That was true in the Greek New Testament. In a number of places, it's not actually translated from the Old Testament. It's simply moved into Greek as a new word. That's a little bit unusual, but it, I think as you will see uh, later, uh, there's, a, there's a reason behind that that's uh, perhaps not only wise, but God-ordained. The basic meaning of amen is true or trustworthy. If something is steady, if someone is loyal, if they are reliable, they are amen. It's a word used for affirming and confirming belief in statements. When factual matters are stated, if you believe it, the proper reply is amen. That not only says I agree with that assertion, I say it also with you, it also means I validate that. I agree with that. I approve of that. Amen means belief and confidence. So the word amen is used in the Bible in the sphere of knowledge or understanding. That was very clear in our 1 Corinthians reading, right? How can you say amen if you don't understand what the person's saying? In other words, amen is not a purely emotional response to something that moves you. Amen is not a purely emotional response to a contentless, amazing event. It is, it should be, in part an emotional response, but it should be that in response to truth, to something that is reliable, something that is trustworthy. So it becomes, in some places in our Bible, almost synonymous with the word believe or trust. And so it is Christians who say, Amen. When God speaks, we say, I believe that too. When Jesus would speak something important and 
meaningful by the way of truth, he would often lead with amen or even amen, amen. What I'm about to say is weighty. It's true. So we don't amen, contentless, amazing occurrences. Paul did not expect the Corinthians to amen something they didn't understand. They had to understand in order to rightly make use of amen. They couldn't affirm, oh yes, that's true. What that speaker said is true if they didn't understand it. Right? So in other words, amen functions as a solemn yes of agreement. Some of you in my sermons say yes, or you agree, or you grunt. Some of you say, that's good. Right? All of those are ways of approving of the truth content of what's being said. And there's, a, there's an overtly biblical way to do that as well, and that's this word, amen. So whenever something true is, is stated, and I'm particularly thinking about, and I'll show you this from the Bible as we move on, but I'm especially thinking about the context of worship. Um, when propositional truths are stated, when there's something that you agree with and want to almost bind yourself with, connect yourself with, that's what amen is for. Some people, maybe children in particular, because they hear the word amen at certain times and places, perhaps amen is at the end of a prayer over the food at your home. Well, they might get the idea that amen means, that's all, this is the end, the prayer is done, or the song is over, or even what's next? We're moving on, we're transitioning, we're done with that. But that is not what amen means. Yes, it does in a certain sense function that way because amen is the capstone, it's agreement with everything that went before and it's saying, now that it's been said, yes. I believe that, I am for that, may that be done. We might say it in plainer English, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Or, that's the truth. So, amen is a word that has to do with belief and commitment to things that have been said, or sung, or prayed, or, but to content, right? Amen is a response of agreement, of affirmation and confirmation about statements of truth. Right? So that's amen as a word. What it means, how it functions, what it doesn't mean. All right? Now, because this really... Um, because the point of my teaching this morning is not just to tell you about amen, but I want to convince you that 
it ought to be, not just might be, or culturally there are reasons for, but biblically it ought to be an element of worship. I want to move to that as our second point. So first, we've looked at amen just as a word. Secondly, amen is an element of New Testament worship. The first text that I read for you, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 to 19, has this as its context. The church in Corinth is gathered for worship. An individual who has the gift of other languages, of tongues, speaks in the congregation. Paul is not opposed to that. However, he is for edification. There's something that overrules the exercise of gifts in the congregation, and that is, of course, glory to God, but horizontally, edification for the others who are there. Because that's his great concern, he could say something next like, so make sure there's an interpreter before you speak. Now, he does something like that at another point in this book. But he doesn't do that here, does he? Or at least not directly. He could give instructions about the use of it. But he doesn't do any of that, really, or at least not much. What's of greater concern to him is because the rest of the congregation can't understand, or at least some of them, can't understand what's being said. What's re what really matters is that the congregation will not be able to say amen to God. Do you see? That's his working assumption in verse 16. How can anyone who is unlearned in this language say amen to your thanksgiving? Paul clearly expects the Corinthians, when there is thanksgiving by one person, when something is said by one, for the others to join with him by saying amen. This is something that would seem that Paul must have taught the Corinthians. Because remember, amen is not Greek. Amen is Hebrew. Here he is addressing a Greek audience, at least predominantly, in a, in a Greek city with the Greek language. And yet he's expecting them to use this Hebrew word that the vast majority of them had never heard of before he arrived in town, I suspect. That's how important it was for Paul. He not only taught them this as a basic of worship, of public worship, but when they are able to glorify one another, they glorify God by saying, Amen, we agree. Paul assumes that the Corinthians are saying amen in public worship. Why? Because for Paul, amen is how truths spoken by one person become congregational. And remember, that's what public worship is. It's gathered worship. It's corporate worship. It's body worship. It's not one person doing a performance. Sometimes there is one person leading, yes. 
Not always. Sometimes we sing, for example, all together, but sometimes there is leading by one person. Does that mean that worship suddenly becomes non-corporate? No, for Paul, after the person leads, if what is said is correct, the body says, Amen. If there was an edifying truth, if there was content that glorified God, then that should be agreed upon and confirmed by everyone present. Paul assumes that public worship is understanding each other, agreeing with the truth that individuals speak, and and then confirming it by the use of this word, Amen. So when the word of God came, Amen should have been the body's response. We see this also in, um, well, let me sum that up very quickly then. Uh, In this passage, first of all, Paul expects an amen. And this, secondly, this amen is a response to something that was understood to be true. Right? We also read from 2 Corinthians 1.20, where... um, What we're doing in saying the amen in corporate worship is affirming God's glory. Second right? Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. That's why we say amen to God. <laughs> when Christ is exalted, when the gospel is given out, We could express this a number of different ways. When the covenant promises of God come to the people of God, we don't sit there silently as if we were uninterested, as if we didn't care, as if we were asleep, as if we weren't moved. No, we say by God's appointment, we say amen. Yes, we can say it individually. But the idea in all of these is we, we, congregational, Amen. And again, I would say the amen must be important because in this passage, he brings it up to the Corinthians and he doesn't need to bring it up. It's not essential to his argument. He actually diverts away from his point to make this point and then he goes back to it. So this is not some small thing for Paul. This is not his personal preference because, you know, he's Jewish. No, as an apostle, he's telling these Gentile believers how to worship God. And one of the ways they do that is by responding corporately with amen. Now, there are numerous places in the New Testament um, where amen is used, and they can be summarized maybe not exhaustively, but almost completely, three ways. Um, Amen comes after doxologies, when God is praised, when God is glorified. Amen often follows. 
at other times when benedictions are given, when it's God's blessings to people. So when people say something about God, amen follows, when it's true and glorious. And when God says the same thing to his people, when he gives them the promises of the new covenant, grace and peace to you, for example, it's followed up with amen. So both doxologies and benedictions, and other times simply when weighty truths are stated, when, when something so important that it should not only uh, convince us but move us, amen, both individually and corporately, is a proper response. I want to look at some examples of these, and I know this will take time, and I know it's uh, not easy um, over the over the internet, but let me read you some of these examples. First, let's just look at some times when the apostles, who we are to imitate in these things, right? when in their writings they break out in an amen after glorifying or doxologizing God. Um, there are a number of them in the book of Romans, uh, that shouldn't surprise you. Here's Romans one twenty-five. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Paul can't think about the creator and the injustice of these sinful men who ignore the glory of God. So he follows this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with, who is blessed forever, amen. He's praising God. It's followed with an amen. Here's uh, chapter 9 and verse 5. Speaking of the benefits of being an Israelite, he says this, to them belong the patriot, patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. When he thinks about Christ, he is a man descended from Israel, but he is also God over all. And this blessed one elicits an amen from deep in the soul of Paul. God is amened. Christ is amened. Next, over at the end of chapter 11, famous verses. For from him, that is the Lord, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the truth. I not only believe this, I validate this. I connect myself with this. It's almost like saying, what he said, <laughs> what he said, or ditto in a, in a holy, weighty manner. One of the things that we struggle with, and this is by a, a short way of application, is is keeping our concentration, right? When the word of God is read, when we're singing a hymn, 
Well, one of the things that amen lets us do is we get to the end and it lets us say, yes, all that again. Yes, to what I just said. All, everything that's in the hymn, all the parts that I uh, thought carefully about and, and struck me in my soul and those that I struggled with. Yes, to all of those things. This is why we don't play around with songs that don't mean much, that don't say much about God, that are trivial. God isn't trivial. We don't want to worship him in a trivial manner. That doesn't mean it has to all be heavy and so deep that we can barely understand it. That It's not the comparison I'm making. But we want to say true things about God so that when we get done, the praise of God is worthy of us saying, yes, that's worthy of God. Amen. That's what Paul's doing here. Ditto. Yes, indeed. Surely. That is so trustworthy. I'm committing myself to it. It's a statement of Christian worship out of, out of a heart of faith. And all of these things, and we could give many more out of the New Testament, uh, all of these things are here for us to imitate. Uh, at the end of benedictions, amen is often used. Here's Romans 15, 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. A benediction is God's good word to us. It's one of his promises, sure and certain in the new covenant to every believer, wished, and more than that, given to us. Paul says, oh, and I fully support that. It's my heart that you know peace as well. It's not just God's wish, it's my wish. And so many of us delight at the end of the benediction to say, amen. We agree with God. What's been spoken is true. It's trustworthy. It will take place. And we want a part of that. <laughs> we are identified with that. There's another one in Galatians 6.18 just to give you some other uh, texts besides out of Romans. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. So be it. The very last word in the New Testament is this word, amen. This is Revelation 22 and verse 21. This is not only a summary, a summation of the book of Revelation, it's really a summary of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all or be with all the saints. Amen. John asserts this. John agrees with this. John desires this. And all who have faith in Jesus Christ desire this as well. And so we say with our mouths from our souls, Amen. So those are examples of both doxologies 
and benedictions. So praise to God, blessing from God. Can you begin to get where this might be going by way of application for our public worship? What is our worship? Well, one way of describing our worship scripturally is it's God talking to us and us talking to God. It's dialogical. It's a holy communication between God and his people. And amen plays a vital, God-defined role in that communication. One more thing. Whenever truths are stated, uh, Revelation 1.7, here's what John says. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And John is so taken by this that he responds, even so, amen. (laughs) This is like saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I am for this. I agree with God about this. This is true, and I want it to happen. But he's really responding to being moved by the truth. This isn't a doxology or a benediction. It's simply a grand truth of the gospel. And John responds with, amen. This is why it is perfectly all right when something is striking in the reading of the word of God or in any part of the worship. It is right to say, amen both individually, but especially corporately. Um, Another uh, place, uh, think about uh, Christ's words. Uh, Over and over and over again, he begins statements with amen, or amen, amen. In the old King James, it was verily, verily, right? Truly, truly, I say to you. In many of the modern versions, it's uh, truly just a single thing. But it's, it's emphasized. It's doubled. Um, it's a way of Christ saying, I'm about to say something. It's important. And I assure you, it is true. You can depend on what I'm about to say. And then he makes the statement. And again, all of these things are given to us for us to imitate when it's appropriate to say the amen, we ought to say it. All right, so that's, um, that's our second point. Um, not only is amen a biblical word with a certain meaning, and we've looked at that, it's also an element of New Testament worship. We've seen some explicit occasions where Paul fully assumes or expects New Testament, even Gentile churches, to say the Hebrew, Amen. And we've seen a number of other places where it's used in the inspired scriptures as a way of teaching us how to use it. All right? But the third and final point for this morning is this. Amen is not only an element of New Testament worship, but thirdly, amen is rooted in past and future worship. The amen is rooted in past and future worship. 
In the Old Testament, when Israel gathered together to renew the covenant with God, uh, the, the biggest example is Deuteronomy 27, certain statements would be made and the people would respond, Amen. When the laws or curses of the covenant were stated, the people would affirm and confirm that by saying, Amen. They said it as a group. They said it as a people, a nation. But specifically in worship, uh, this was true uh, as well. Uh, a wonderful example is, um, is found in Nehemiah. Chapter 8, this is one of my favorite portions of the Old Testament, the first half of this chapter. I won't read all of it, but what in, in this portion, Ezra, as the priest, stands up and reads the law of God. And he doesn't read like I do for about 10 minutes, which is long by modern American standards, he reads for hours and hours, right? He's reading the entire law of God, apparently. Verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, what he did was he opened the word of God to them. He read it to them for a great length of time, and then he held up the scroll, and the people said, Amen. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, or that is, interpreting and explaining it, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Right? So this wasn't the reading of... Uh, this wasn't the reading of the Bible in Latin by a people who spoke French or German or something else and couldn't understand it and merely out of some blind devotion would say, Amen. This is the reading of the word of God in the tongue of the people in an understood language. And because of what it was, the word of God, they glorified God, they thanked him, they praised him by saying, Amen. We agree with this word. We value this word. We commit ourselves to this word. Again, a very moving um, example. First Chronicles. So back a little bit. First Chronicles 16, verse 36. This is when uh, David brings the ark and puts it in the tent. He finally obeys God in the details of the ark, and so people don't die. And he, he brings it there. And after offering this wonderful prayer, here's what it is. He, here's how he ends in verse 35 and 36. Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. When God is glorified, when he is praised in song, when 
he is appealed to in prayer, when his word is read after all of these times of communication, whenever truth is in the mix, amen is the biblical response for the gathered people of God. It means we agree with this and we embrace it. It is a way of confirming our commitment to what we've heard. And frankly, it lets our hearts respond not only in faith and understanding, but by emotionally reacting uh, to this. You know, there are some forms of Christianity. Uh, at times, uh, some of the more careful, because I, I want to be, be fair here, some of the more careful forms of uh, Scottish uh, worship urge upon their worshipers no noise, no distraction, no grunts, no amens, no nothing. I've ministered multiple times in churches like that where the people are taught to be absolutely quiet. Now, the motive behind that is because God is speaking and you, and you ought to be you know, reverentially in awe of it. Well, that's true, but the Bible says more than that. The Bible says more than listen with your head and heart. It says, and then respond with your mouth. From your soul, move your lips and say, what do I say? I don't know what to say. God teaches us what to say. We say, amen. We say, truth. We say, I believe that. And I was always grieved. Because for a people who love God, to hear him speak, to have requests be made to him, and you be told it is wrong to vocalize anything in the worship of God. Oh, very, very sad. <laughs> That's not how we further relationships with each other, is it? We don't listen to someone with great news and then just stand there. That's a good way to lose a friend. <laughs> That's a good way for you to convey to them you don't care about what they're saying. Well, God does know our hearts, but he and he has made us as emotional, responsive beings. And he's even been so kind as to teach us how it is, at least a major way, that that felt, effective response to him is to be made. It's with the word, Amen. Interestingly, and to the surprise of none of you, um, Amen is found in the book of Psalms. It's actually found four times. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound like very much. Uh, it's not, but let me explain what the four times are. Some of you may know that the book of Psalms is actually uh, divided up into five books. That's part of the way it's arranged. It's part of the text. The first portion goes from the first psalm to the 41st psalm. And so uh, you can look this up later or you can turn there now. If you go to the end of the 41st psalm and then look at the 42nd psalm, it will say book two. So this, this last verse in Psalm 41 is the end 
of the first book of Psalms. Here's how it ends. After um, the psalm is done, the psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. This is the summary for all of these psalms. It's, it's as if he said, okay, now remember, when, each, when you do each one of these psalms, you could say amen for any of them, but I'll just put it here. Now, amen and amen is used a second time in the book of Psalms, and that's at the end of chapter or Psalm 72, which is the end of book two of the Psalms. And then it's used again at the end of, of Psalm 89, which just coincidentally is the end of book three of the Psalms. And of course, you know where the fourth one is. It's at the end of book four of the Psalms. The Psalms as a whole are praises and prayers to God. The Bible elsewhere calls the Psalms both prayers and praises. And both of those things are affirmed by amen or amen and amen. So Old Testament worship included, even required, the amen. But it's not just Old Testament worship, or at least Mosaic worship that included it. It's also included in heavenly worship. What's going on now and presumably in the future includes the amen. Very quickly, three more texts, and then we'll be done for this morning. Revelation 5.14 a very interesting study is to look at the book of Revelation and, and just see all the places, all the ways that Amen is used. Uh, very edifying study. Chapter 5, verse 14. The Lamb of God is praised for purchasing salvation. And not only men, but every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, verse 13, and all that's in them is saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, so these aren't human beings. Amen is not limited just to human nature. <laughs> and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And then to turn over to chapter 7 and verse 12, the same thing. Uh, the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, all of them together said, verse 12, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then finally, uh, by way of example, chapter 19 and verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. How are they, how will they worship him? What is a component, an element, a part of heavenly worship? This word, amen. And here it's followed by Hallelujah, so prominent in the Psalms, right? Um, praise the Lord, hallelujah. So, amen is not a 
personal favorite of Paul's. It's the language of Christ and the apostles and the prophets for worship. The Amen is God's will for Old Testament, New Testament, and future heaven on earth, eternal state worship. Now, perhaps for some of you, that's a bit striking. You know, there aren't a lot of things that directly carry over from New Old Testament worship into the New Testament worship, are there? I mean, the vast majority of things that they did back then, we no longer do. And it's quite unusual for something in the present age to, to move forward into worship in the, in the coming age, in the future age. So there must be something quite special, quite meaningful about this word. And just to, just to give you the answer, and we'll look at this in detail next Lord's Day, uh, Lord willing, the reason is because Jesus Christ is the Amen. All of the things in the Old Testament worship that are, that are done away with, they're what? They're fulfilled in Christ, and so they have either a, a, a higher or a different or a better form. Even amen in the Old Testament. Christ is the amen, and so we don't stop saying amen. <laughs> we keep saying amen, and as New Covenant believers, we say in faith amen with a greater understanding and hopefully with a deeper love and appreciation. So why would this word continue? Why would Paul teach Greeks a Hebrew, a single Hebrew word when the Greek had plenty of good words for truth or praise? Because Jesus is the Amen. Again, we'll look at that next week and I trust it will be... Um, useful, Christ-exalting, and, and uh, helpful to us in our, in our worship.